Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, May 16, 2021. It focuses on Jesus' conflicts with religious rivals. The message to all who will listen is watch out for false teachers while you cling to the truth. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together. God, thank you that uh, you have given us your written word so that we might know who you are and recognize you when we see your work. And we bless your name. We ask that you would speak to us now through your written word and that your spirit would come alongside that word and come out through my mouth with the words that you desire for us to hear. We're so grateful that you are with us and that wherever we go, no matter what we face, that you are our king and protector and guide and corrector and all the things that we need, God, uh, they're in you. And I just pray, God, that you would do your work among us today. Amen. All right, so I have a quick question for you. What do you do when you spot a pair of Mormon missionaries or a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses a few houses down the block from your house and they're headed your way? Do you close the blinds so they think no one's at home? More than once, I have pulled the drapes, I'm sorry. Uh, Perhaps you see them and head to the backyard so you won't hear the doorbell ring because you know it'd be rude to not answer the door, but if you don't hear the bell, well, I guess I shouldn't assume that you avoid such encounters. I know plenty of people who welcome members of these cults into their homes, open up their Bibles, ask questions, point out errors, make their religious rivals think and try to win them to Christ. Years ago, I had a series of conversations with members of a local kingdom hall. They rang my back doorbell at our house. My office was in the house, and so I opened the door to my office, and there they were. We had a short conversation in which I, without knowing exactly what they believed at that time, brought up some things that I believe the Spirit wanted them to hear, truth that contradicted theirs. A few weeks later, one of the ones that had been there before came back, and this time, There was another adult, okay, two adults carrying briefcases came to visit with me and once again we chatted and once again the Spirit led me to say things that contradicted their doctrines and their false teachings. About a month after this encounter, two men in black suits and black ties carrying large briefcases in hand stepped up to my office door and knocked. I looked at them and knew immediately that our conversations were at an end. And I spoke politely to them. I said, I'm sorry I can't talk with you today. I have family here, which was the truth. It seems, I went on, that you are not going to be convinced to change your minds about what we've talked about, and I know that I'm not going to budge, and so our conversations need to come to an end. The men thanked me. And turning around, headed back to their car, I never received another Jehovah's Witness recruiting duo again as long as I lived in that place. You want to know what I usually do now when I see door-to-door cult members stepping up to my neighbor's doors? I pray. I pray that their words would be confused. I pray that my neighbors would not be deceived, that they wouldn't understand. I pray that truth would be spoken to these neatly dressed, polite and friendly young people. I pray that God would send them to the right houses where people will speak the truth to them. And perhaps they might hear the good news. You know, they are 
in regards to the gospel rivals, but I don't wish ill upon any of them as I pray this way. I simply do not want the folks around me to fall for the deception that they're peddling, and I want my neighbors and these religious salespeople to find salvation through Christ. Well, Jesus faced off from time to time with groups of men who, because of the way that they twisted Scripture and demeaned those around them, were religious rivals. We've seen Jesus interact in past chapters with the Pharisees and with the teachers of the law. Another group who took him to task was the Sadducees. The teachers of the law were often hanging about when the Pharisees came and calling the Sadducees. Not so much. You see, they and the Pharisees were religious rivals, or maybe political rivals is a better way to read that. The Pharisees took a more liberal view of the writings of Moses. They put the oral traditions on equal footing with them. The Sadducees, on the other hand, believed that only the law that was given by God directly to Moses had authority. The two groups differed greatly in their views of the afterlife and the unseen spiritual realm. The Pharisees believed that men and women lived after death and were rewarded or punished by God according to what they had done. The Sadducees rejected the idea of the resurrection and denied the existence of unseen spiritual beings other than God. Sadducees tend to be more cooperative with Rome than the Pharisees who were generally more popular with the common folks. That's your brief lesson on the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees. One's not fair, you see. The other one's sad, you see. Okay, never. <laughs> anyway, this morning we're going to look at a couple of run-ins that Jesus has with these rival groups. The Pharisees, teachers of the law, and Sadducees all show up in a relatively short time, and they are ready to rumble. Round one is found in Matthew chapter 15. Round two begins at verse one of Matthew chapter 16. After discussing both incidences, we're going to hear Jesus warn his disciples about his rivals and about their teachings. With that little preview, we're going to turn to the text and we're going to start by reading Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. We're going to read more than that, but these are the verses in which Matthew records the meeting between Jesus and two of the three groups that I mentioned earlier. If you're ready, please read along as I read from Matthew 15, 1 to 9. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. First things first, I want you to notice what verse 1 says about the group Jesus is now facing. These guys who are questioning Jesus in Matthew 15 have come up from Jerusalem the seat of religious authority and power in Israel. These are the black-suited, black-tied guys with big briefcases. This is an escalation of warfare between Jesus and the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They meant business, and their purpose was to discredit him, to shame him, and put him in his place. 
Several weeks ago, we talked about another dust-up between Jesus and the Pharisees over what should or should not be done on the Sabbath day. The teachers of the law were not present at that time. We discussed the extra laws that were written down and adhered to by the Pharisees. We talked about the Talmud, which is a multi-volume, multi-scroll set of laws, which was kind of like the thick leather-bound law books you see when you go into a lawyer's office. It's all that case law, and they got to find the precedents. And they, okay, it's all that kind of stuff. Except in this case, the Talmud is more about religious practices than about legal precedent. So back and forth, we just witnessed is at least in part about whether the Talmudic law, the rules made up by men, has authority along with the Mosaic law, the law that God gave Israel after rescuing them from Egypt. The Pharisees are among the judges of the rightness and wrongness of actions in the current governmental structure in Israel. Their purpose in life was to keep people on the straight and narrow. They believed both the Talmudic code and the Mosaic laws applied to everybody in Israel. The teachers of the law were interpreters of those laws, and they purported to love the Mosaic law more, but evidence of the Gospels is that they, along with the Pharisees, often elevated man-made teachings about the law that God had given. They did so, especially when it suited their position, their power, or their purse. Both groups seemed to twist scripture and oral tradition to get around truths which should have caused them to be convicted by the Spirit and cause them to repent to their sin. Well, earlier the Pharisees called Jesus' followers out for picking grain on the Sabbath. What do they shout and scream about this time? Hand washing. The twelve don't do it right. I don't know if they didn't sing the ABCs while they were doing it or it wasn't long enough. I don't know. If I remember correctly, the proper way to wash your hands in that day, to ceremonially clean yourself after you'd come out of the marketplace, was to wash your hands and then rinse them with your hands pointed up. That way the moral filth of all those icky people who you touched would drain down and not get back on your hands. That was how it worked. Washing your hands was not about having clean hands to eat, but about making sure that the disgraceful stuff that other people did didn't get on you. It's kind of a superiority thing. Whatever the case, Jesus' crew didn't do it right, and the old guard of Jerusalem wanted Jesus to look bad. What kind of teacher doesn't teach his students how to wash properly? That was the question. Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't talk about hand-washing at all, at least not in this section. He simply points out the inconsistency of those who are pointing properly washed fingers at his innocent disciples. The issue he brings up is how these guys make up stuff so that they can benefit from gifts given toward their cause from folks who should have been using their assets to help out their aging parents. Isn't that despicable? Jesus basically says, you think I should worry about my followers washing their hands before supper when you're allowing men to dishonor their parents? Didn't God command everyone to honor mother and father? I think it's in the covenant that God made with them and said, if you follow these things, then I'll be your God and, and you'll be my people. What Jesus has done in effect is discount the oral tradition and reassert the rightful place of the law given by God. Which matters? 
It's the Mosaic law. It's the law that we have in our Old Testament, the laws that were given by God. The made-up rules of man hold no weight in eternity, and don't miss this, they have no authority over men. All right, I'm going to step on a few toes here. I have seen people get furious at kids who run in a church building. And I have heard of people judging clothes that people wear to Sunday morning worship. And I think these grumpy folks would get a huge stop it from Jesus, don't you? Jesus loved the little children and he cared about people. He didn't care two hoots about what you were wearing. You can wear whatever you want to church. I'm just telling you that because, because God sees your heart and that's what he's focused on. I think you'll see that as we wrap up what's left of the story. Read along with me now from verses 10 to 20. We're still in Matthew 15. Starting at verse 10, it says, Jesus called the crowd to him. Okay, he's just had this run in. He's rebuked the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And here it says, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain this parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, False testimony, slander, these are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Why are these religious folks offended? Was it because he poo-pooed their rules about hand washing? Probably. Was it because he called them out for breaking the actual law? Probably that too. Was it because he said that the words spoken through Isaiah were about them, that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me? They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You'd think those words might have played into their huffiness. These men were used to being highly praised for their acts of righteousness. They're used to people applauding, and Jesus offers them a stinging rebuke instead. To be fair... The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were not really interested in Jesus' opinions on this. They were looking to discredit him. That's why they asked him publicly about his disciples' unclean behavior. In that culture, according to the authors of Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes, public questioning was always meant to challenge the authority or the position of somebody else. If you really want to know the answer, you'd ask them privately. So they're not trying to find out what Jesus thinks about this, they're trying to embarrass him. Out in the open inquiries are not about gaining information or truth, they're about gaining the upper hand in an argument and gaining street cred from the populace. I think the crowds witnessing this encounter thought less of the questioners at the end of the day than they did about Jesus. It was Jesus who came out smelling like roses and his rivals lost the favor that they had sought. How does Jesus respond when his disciples tell him that the big weeks from Jerusalem were miffed at his words? He shows no concern at all. He simply redirects his followers with words about blind guides leading blind people and everybody falling in a pit. And that's what happens. I think there's a warning in here for us. 
We must be careful about who we let guide our thoughts concerning God's word. There are plenty of deceivers and false teachers and myth makers in this world who use what has been written for the benefit of God's church as a means for personal gain. They puff themselves up, make themselves look good, and make themselves rich in worldly goods by fleecing the flock. Before we move on, let's not forget the words Jesus spoke when his disciples asked him to explain the words that he had offered the crowds about washing hands. Evidently, what he said puzzled them. And Jesus answered by making sure that all understood what's in the heart matters far more than any ritual cleansing or religious act or hand washing done right. The big issue is not hand washing. The huge issue is the evil in a person. Murder and adultery and theft and all those other things he lists, that's what comes from deep inside. We would all do well to concern ourselves more with the wicked behavior in our own lives than with the lack of church attendance of another. Your sin should matter more to you than the inaction of any person on the planet. Remember Jesus' talk about the specks and the planks? Take care of the plank in your own eye and then you can help the people with the speck. That's what we're talking about here. This is the question that you should ask all the time. Is my heart set on God? Your actions are the answer. What you do is the proof of your faith. The evidence of God's work in your inner being is how you treat others. God would make our hearts right before you so that we can serve faithfully and point people toward the Son. All right, we're ready to jump over into chapter 16. Jesus and his disciples have been out of town, so to speak. The events that we talked about last week in Matthew chapter 15, the healing of the Canaanite woman in the region of Tyre and Sidon, the healing of the Canaanite woman's daughter, and the feeding of the 4,000 who were largely non-Jewish, those events separate what we just looked at from what we're going to look at now. So all that happens, Jesus has gone out of town, gone out of country, and now he's coming back. Chapter 16 begins much like chapter 15. Another group of Jesus' religious rivals shows up as he returns to Israel. Here's what it says in verses 1 to 4. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning today, it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. Now, under normal circumstances, the Pharisees and Sadducees did not get along very well. They didn't agree on much of anything that had any significance theologically. To show you how unusual this cooperation is that we see here in Matthew chapter 16, let me read a passage for you from Acts 23. Paul is on trial before the Sanhedrin, which was a group of 70 men, kind of like our Supreme Court. It was comprised of a large number of Sadducees and not a few Pharisees. So these guys are together. This is just like, dare I say it, the Democrats and Republicans in the Senate. This is the kind of conflict we have here. Knowing his crowd's deep doctrinal divide and their disdain for each other, the apostle intentionally opens a huge can of worms. It's a great story, so let me read it for you. Acts 23, verses 6 to 10. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, 
My brothers, I am a Pharisee descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar, verse 9, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. These are the same folks who are working together to trap Jesus in chapter 16. That they put aside their differences to oppose Jesus as one body is nothing short of amazing. In Acts, they come to blows over the issue of the resurrection of the dead. They're so violent that the Romans, fearing that he'll be torn to pieces, rescue Paul. How is it that they're all nicey-nicey with one another in Matthew? I guess sometimes all you need to get along is a common enemy. Jesus threatens their power, their position. The Sadducees, who are in cahoots with Rome, are afraid he'll mess up the peace. The Pharisees imagine a loss of favor, and so they work together. What they ask is interesting. Even more interesting when you look back at Matthew 12 and notice a similar challenge coming at Jesus from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Listen to how Jesus handled things a few chapters ago. This is Matthew 12, 38 to 40. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered them, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Sound familiar? For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This is a nutty request when you consider what these groups have seen. In Matthew chapter 9, both groups see signs. They see a paralyzed man walk. There's a woman who has a bleeding disorder and she's healed. There's a dead girl who's raised to life. A couple of blind guys are given sight. A demon-possessed man is set free. They've seen all this, and then they ask for a sign. You know, we just want to make sure that you're really going to sign. Just in case, you know, let's see another one. And Jesus, in both chapters 12 and chapter 16, gives the same reply. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, an allusion to his death and his three days later resurrection. All right, before we run out of time before you get too hungry and start tuning out. I want to tackle one more section. Verses 5 through 12 deserve at least a minute or two, so let's read those verses together. Matthew 16, verses 5 through 12. When they went to cross the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves. It is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Do you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus urges caution when listening to those who oppose him. 
he warns his disciples against the teaching of both sets of religious rivals. The one group piles on rules that they've made up, the other denies the spiritual battle that rages, and both are in error. Friends, I said it earlier, let me say it again, be careful who you listen to. The good news is this, salvation is available to all who put their faith in Jesus. When a person believes they receive God's righteousness as a gift of grace, you don't gain righteousness by what you do, you gain it by faith in Jesus. When a person believes they receive that, God has mercy on every repentant sinner, forgives their sin, and cleanses them from all unrighteousness. In addition, God gives the believer the power to say no to sin, to overcome the flesh, and reject the temptations of the enemy. Any other message that purports to be good news is not good news. Any messenger who promotes any other way to salvation is a deceiver. There is no other way than to trust in Jesus for that salvation. Please put your faith in him, not in your good works. His spirit will help you to follow him and his ways. You will not be led astray by false teachers if you're constantly going to his word and constantly listening to his spirit. As we close this morning, I encourage you to praise Jesus, to thank him, to confess your need of his help, and to ask for his salvation, both for yourself and for others. In fact, maybe you need to pray also for those who are religious rivals, to pray for those who are deceiving others, that they might come to know the truth and believe on the one true God. Would you do that? Let's pray together as we close our time. God, we thank you that you're here. We thank you for the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus, and we recognize that there are religious rivals in this world, people who teach falsehood. And I pray, Father, that you would defeat their message, that you would draw them to you, and that people would not hear the misinformation that they pass along. I pray for salvation for those in this community who don't know you. Pray that you would put believers in the, in the lives, in the paths of those who are just confused and wandering. And for those who are intentionally deceptive, I pray that you would put believers in their paths so that they might hear the truth. And God, if it would be your will, we ask that you would draw people to you. Even those who right now are opposed to the good news as you have laid it forth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to close this morning with a short passage from Hebrews chapter 12 and a song that I wrote recently which reminds us as believers what to do with these words that we're going to hear from Hebrews 12. I'm reading from Hebrews 12 starting partway through verse 1 and reading down through verse 3. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Notice how he deals with opposition. Watch him overcome and know that he is with you to help you overcome as well. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. The words to the song that we're closing with, I want you to sing and set your heart and your eyes and everything on Jesus.
and bless those around us, serve them, and bring the good news to where it's needed most. Amen? Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.